Canuck Central Friday. Dan Riccio and Satyar Shaw. It is a presentation of your local Grip Auto entire location. Friendly service and expert advice are waiting for you at gripauto.ca today. New Canucks assistant to the general manager, Ryan Johnson, is going to join us in a couple of minutes. We'll get into all of the Canucks moves. Yannick Hansen will get to us in hour two of the program and the mailbag to come here on a beautiful Friday afternoon in the lower mainland, setting us up for a lovely and warm weekend. It's about as hot as Canucks Twitter has been today. <laughs> Sat. Yeah. Um, the Canucks hired. I mean, you know what? Honestly, I think the main focus should be the addition of Scott Young. Because okay. I do think he's he's a w- very well thought of individual who I, I believe even got consideration for some AGM spots, and I think even in Vancouver was linked at one point. So I think highly of Scott Young, and I've heard very good things about him. So I, I think that's a really positive addition. And to be honest, out of all the announcements they made today, he's the one that could have the biggest impact, right, for the Vancouver Canucks. Scott Young will act as director of player personnel. Uh, The Canucks also making other moves. Ryan Johnson promoted to assistant to the general manager. Will retain his role as general manager of the Abbotsford Canucks. He'll join us in a couple of moments, as we mentioned. Frank Golden joins as a college free agent scout. Dylan Crawford, son of Mark, has been added as a video coach. And Dale Talon will serve as senior advisor and professional scout, pro scout. So Mm -hmm. a lot of different moves. Scott Young, you mentioned, director of player personnel. This, uh, an addition that um, comes with some high praise, as you mentioned. He's been linked with the Pittsburgh Penguins, of course. Spent the past five years there. So Alvin and Rutherford know him well. Kind of joins a long line of Penguins people that have come along Mm -hmm. with Alvin and Rutherford. But also... You know the the name that is getting a uh, a ton of run is is Dale Talon. Yeah, uh, Patrick Alvin did respond to you know the uh, investigation that went on with the NHL mm-hmm. as, in regards to a um, uh, an accusation that there was a racially charged comment Dale Talon made during the 2020 bubble. He was uh, obviously admonished of that accusation, so they were allowed to make the hire as the NHL said and so that aside he comes with a lot of baggage from Chicago and obviously Florida and a spotty track record at the same time you know this is uh something that I think we're just spending too much time on sat you know Dale Talon's been in the game for a long time played the game a long time long pal of Jim Rutherford um it's one of many additions to this front office I think it's a fair question to ask and you know Farhan asked uh, yes. Alvin about it, and Alvin's answer was he's been cleared of those allegations by the NHL, who hired an outside investigator to go look into it, who right. said they found nothing, and the NHL cleared um, the old talent. Uh, so that's what Alvin essentially said, and said we're happy to have him with the organization. He's not going to be this massive presence in the organization. Right. He's a pro scout and an advisor to Rutherford. Now, if you believe that Jim Rutherford is the chief decision maker and he's going to sit there and make all the calls and, and, and be the guy that makes all the decisions. 
then you could obviously look at this and say, well, he's hired Dale Talon. That's his friend. He's going to have a big say in decisions. But I think one thing you have to keep in mind in all this is Patrick Alvin is the GM of this team. And Rutherford, as much as he is the president, I don't think he's going to be running point on the big decisions and what to do. He may offer his opinion, but it's not going to be the big say on everything. So as much as people are concerned, I think it's fair to ask the question. And even when Rutherford can be asked, I think it's fair to ask and they can give the answers on it. And Dale Talon, when, if and when he's made available, it's fair to ask him about it. But to be clear, it's not going to be a role where he's going to be making big decisions for this club. Yeah, and... You're so right about the the Alvin is is the guy here. Now I know you know Rutherford because he can be well, he's very media friendly. Yeah. Uh is is probably the word. And so because of that, he talks to the media, gives very engaging interviews, is open about the things that are happening within the organization and some of the plans that they are making, but um Patrick Alvin, at the end of the day, as Jim Rutherford has said himself, is the general manager and is running this ship. And uh, his right-hand man, as he pointed out today, is our next guest. It is Ryan Johnson, assistant to the GM of the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, thanks for this, Ryan. How are you? Uh, good, real good. How are you guys? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for making time. As always, we always do uh, we always do appreciate it. Um, so uh, you know. How has this all worked out? You know, uh, Patrick and Jim have talked a ton about how helpful you've been uh, to the process of the transition since they came in. Um, how, how has this last six months sort of been for you, Ryan? Uh, it, it's been crazy. Obviously, you know, a, uh, a lot of change within the organization. Anytime there's change, it's it's a, uh, um, you know, there, there's, a lot to be done. It's difficult. And, and to do that in the middle of, of a season and then also uh, still in the midst of a pandemic, uh, you know, creates a lot of challenges. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's been uh, crazy, but it, in a in a good way, in a sense, uh, to your point, you know, with Jim and Patrick walking in again, it, it, mid-season is, is a very, uh, is a large challenge for them. And I was just glad to be able to assist them in getting to know uh, the organization, the staff, uh, the people that they're instantly working with, and also, you know, our, uh, uh, our players and, and where we sit organizationally. So um, it's, it's been a lot, but it's uh, been very enjoyable from my side. Well, and as far, as far as the announcement that was made today, that you continue on as the Abbotsford Canucks general manager, but you have a new defined role as an assistant to the GM, does that change your duties? And does that definition, you know, perhaps, is it a bit of a promotion as well moving forward with the organization? Well, obviously, uh, you know, have worked from, from day one with Patrick coming on board. Uh, he's been very good to me. We developed a very good relationship instantly and, and a lot of trust we have a lot of mutual uh i would say friends in the business and and uh so i i think you know uh, i'll work very closely with him and assisting him in any way i can um and and obviously still uh oversee the abbotsford uh side of things which is extremely important to us as an organization and heading into year two after uh, what we thought was a very good year one uh, that we had to kind of sprint to get into. So um, I think things will change uh, a little bit as, as far as some of the day-to-day responsibilities and 
communication with Patrick and, and obviously with a, with a firm keen eye on Abbotsford and running the day-to-day uh, of that to make sure that, that it is uh, accomplishing, accomplishing everything that we want it to uh, in an organization and developing young players and uh, getting uh, players ready to play in the NHL. Uh, we know everybody is, you know, free to to guide their ship the way that they see uh, they see fit. But you were a big part of the, the the previous front office, and now you're even a bigger part of of this front office. Um, how how have things changed uh, around the Vancouver Canucks uh, in, in general with the, with the new additions and the way things are headed now? Well, I, you know, for me, uh, comparing. Um, you know, where things were to where they are now, you know, I don't like to do, I, I was you know, Jim Benning and they, they were uh, very good to me. And I, and uh, you know, I've, I've, I've watched a lot of good people over the years that I've learned a lot from, I will say that. Um, I think Jim and Patrick have built uh, a heck of a team and a group and given people autonomy to, to, and trust to, to do their jobs. Uh, uh, to do the work and, and trust, you know, trust in them, but also trust themselves. And uh, so, uh, uh, you know, when you go to through Cammy and Emily and Derek and mm-hmm. obviously Daniel and Henrik and, and uh, uh, Stan Smeal and, and on and on the group that's been put in place and so, some of the announcements today, um, I, I think we've got a very good team. Uh, and that's, that's the important uh, word there is that everybody's pulling on the same rope. And I think we've got a lot of, uh, good people that uh, that are going to, I think, put us in a place to do some great things. Well, and as far as you know, you mentioned you're you're still continue the important work of being the GM of the Abbotsford Canucks. And as far as building that out, development out, how excited are you about the new additions being made, like Mike Commissarek, Mikhail Samuelson, just by being able to bolster up the player development side, having the Sedins cl- working closely with it, having a, another different defined vision for what to do in the future. How exciting is that for the Abbotsford Canucks? And, and, and not just that, but also the potential of developing these players that come through the system. Well, it, it's huge. And it's one of the things from day one that uh, Jim Rutherford and I talked about in his office in, in the first few days of him being on, the importance of, of building that out. It's something uh, I've wanted to do for a while uh, and Patrick coming on and, and his immediate attention to it and encouragement to say, yes, let's, let's go and let's find the right people. We put a lot of time, uh, the Cami Granado in the, the discussions we had of really digging into finding, um, you know, the right fits and people that we felt could, could obviously uh, give us so many resources as a development staff, working with draft picks, working with players in Europe, uh, college players, and, and obviously uh, Daniel Henrik's integration into that. Um, I was so excited a year ago when they came on board to kind of uh, have them be a part of the Abbotsford group. And I think they really took an enjoyment to it and worked very closely, um, you know, going, going in once a week and watching practice, communicating with Trent Call and, uh, you know, I loved it by the end of the year, you know, they were down on the bench during some of the power play sessions and our players uh, really loved that and, and, and being a resource to them. So I, I love their passion for it and their support for me has been outstanding. And, and I think the team that we've put in place, even the, the, the department call we had last week and a call this week uh, discussing our development camp. And I'm just, uh, I'm over the moon excited. The amount of voices and resources that our young players are going to have 
Um, and, and, and it's something that we talked about and have delivered on it. And I can't wait to just get it up and going uh, in season. Well, it, it's so easy. Uh, you know, we do it all the time talking about a player's uh, potential and, and their ceiling and all these these kind of buzzwords. Um, but it's it's another thing to, to really help them get there. And, and there's so many different ways to do that. But uh, it just feels there's a better chance of that happening with those resources and coaches available to them now in Vancouver. And, you know, in turn, Ryan, that that kind of reputation will end up breeding on itself and, and it'll get around into hockey circles and that might allow the club to, to even entice, um, you know, more free agents in the future and things of that nature. 100%. And even over this, this past year, I, I, I think uh, some of the attention, the things that we were doing and working on in Abbotsford and, and um, the direction we were heading, I, I know it's been talked about. I, I wanted to create, uh, an environment that uh, was spread word of mouth that players wanted to come play for you. And I think uh, we've started that. And I think that conversation is starting and uh, which is a great thing. And, and I think we can only, we continue to build that. I want a place where, you know, players go to free agency or they're looking for a second organization chance where they're saying, Hey, I, I want to go to Vancouver. I know what they're doing there. And I hear, the resources and the support they're going to give me to get to where I want to go. Well, and wasn't that kind of the case with you when you signed with Vancouver? Yeah. I mean, for me, uh, I had other options um, as a player. Yeah. You know, my conversations with uh, with uh, Mike Gillis and Lawrence Gilman and what they were talking about in regards to uh, their priority to win a Stanley cup and, and how they were doing it within the organization. And uh, for me, it was, I didn't want an easy place where I could go hide. I wanted the pressure. I wanted to win. That's why I played the game. Um, and I wanted to be in the fire of the, the Vancouver market and took, you know, less money and to, to, to go do it. And, and uh, you know, unfortunately came up short on some pretty good teams, but yeah. you know, I, I want to continue that on where, players see this market, see what our organization is doing, and the, the, the standard that we set, the environment that we create, um, how players are treated and what that expectation is uh, every day that they step in the arena and walk on the ice for practice or go into the gym to train. We, we want to build something where players are, players are asking uh, to be here and wanting to be here and, and, and uh, doing whatever they can to get in a situation that, that – in an environment that we've created because they feel one, they've got a chance to, to win and two, to, to become the best player that they can be. Well, and already seeing some evidence of that with, uh, was Andre Kuzmenko signing a contract with the team. And, you know, it's a huge opportunity for him, for the organization, but also if this is a success, not only for the player, but for the team, how much does that boost what we just are talking about in terms of this, not only being a place where you want to play, but you can come in and we can make you the best version of yourself. Well, and I think, you know, between uh, Jim and Patrick and uh, very uh, quickly, I think with with uh, the message they've sent by, you know, some of the things they've done, uh, I think it, it's um, it's got the attention of people. And, and, and this signing for us was, was huge to have a player like that that had an abundance of options to be able to, to want to come into to Vancouver and be a part of this young uh, up and coming group with a new uh, 
a new group of management and resources and coaches that uh, it's exciting for us. And like I said, we, we want uh, we want players, whether they're European free agents, college free agents, or players in the NHL um, going to market to, to be saying to their representatives, say, check in with them because I, I want a shot to go there. Ryan Johnson, our guest, uh, promoted as the uh, assistant to the GM of the Vancouver Canucks and maintaining general manager of the Abbotsford Canucks duties. Um, it, we know these next couple of weeks are uh, are, are going to be pretty crazy, right? The the draft is now less than than two weeks away. Uh, Ryan, it's um, you know there's there's rumors flying around about various players, core players, big players, big decisions to be made for the team. Um, what do these next two weeks look like for? the front office and, you know, the ability to you know, manage the, the, the future and the long-term goals, but also wanting to remain competitive in the short term. Uh, it's massive. You know, we, we've, we've, it really has been nonstop since the season has ended and uh, evaluation of, of the entire organization. And, and uh, at the end of the day, finding, you know, challenging ourselves to how can we get better and, how can we push that envelope? And so, um, you know, with with the draft and free agency, we're going to have a lot happening in a short amount of time. Uh, development camp, our first, you know, development camp in in uh, over two years due to the pandemic, to see the uh, the whites of uh, the eyes of some of these young players we haven't had the opportunity to. So we've got a lot coming down down the pipe. But um, no, it, it's a lot of conversations day in and day out. Obviously, Patrick's doing a lot of a lot of listening and and uh, seeing, you know, from from free agency to uh, the draft. It's going to be very important for us. So it's it's an exciting mm-hmm. time, and I think for a Vancouver Canuck fan, um, you have to be uh, excited and and uh, of what's happening and what uh, eventually will happen here over the next three or four weeks or into an important off season as we build uh, our group out for for September. That uh, is an important year for us as a group. Well, it is exciting because obviously there's always a lot at stake, but but it seems even more so this off season with some contractual situations still to be figured out for some really key players for this organization. And ultimately, Ryan, I know those decisions will be made by Jim or more so Pat, Patrick and Jim and, and the entire front office, I understand. But how hard is it or how challenging is it to navigate the importance of those players, especially a guy like JT Miller, who you see the age, but you see obviously 99 points and how important he is to the team, but then also weighing the long-term ramifications of potentially signing a player like that into their late 30s. I mean, that type of a challenge, how big is that? But at the same time, how much of an opportunity could it present? Well, it is, and you have to you have to look at, look at all options and in, in uh, short term and long term in these situations you you you've got a you can't be short sighted and, and and you have to you have to go through a thorough process and and uh, you know at the trade deadline and they say a lot of conversations of of uh, of how do we get better what does our team look now and how does it look in the future and and as as these you know the, these are not knee jerk reactions that's for sure as we do our due diligence and and talking to players, talking to teams, you, you, you get back as a group and and uh, put this on all, put this all on the table. And how does it affect us tomorrow? And how does it affect us four or five years from now? And we 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 you know we voice opinions, uh, we put them on the table and and make a decision. And Patrick makes Patrick and Jim make a final decision, and away we go. So um, it's I think one thing we do 
have in a very good place right now is our process uh, and excited about that. And like I said, we, we do the work and at the end of the day, Patrick uh, makes a call and, and, uh, and we all on board and, and go with it. Um, before we let you go, Ryan, uh, you, you are maintaining a, the role of general manager of the Abbotsford Canucks. Um, what, what's the plan with the, with the Abbey Canucks? We know uh, it's an important part of the organization, how much they want it to be successful in Abbotsford. Um, is it, how do you see next, uh, the, the next roster for the Abbotsford Canucks looking? Well, intentionally, I, I'm, I'm trying to get younger. Uh, I, I want to get, uh, I want to be a harder team to play against. I want our, our young players to, uh, to understand how hard uh, they need to play day in and day out. And uh, especially in the division we play in, uh, I, I, I want them to have a true understanding of what they're prepared to, to face at the next level. So I, I want youth. I've got, you know, things I'm working on right now, but some, some younger players to come in. I want to get younger. I want to get faster. I want to get harder. Uh, I want to continue to build an environment that uh, we have every resource uh, there is to offer. And, and, and if we do that, there are no excuses at the end of the day, it's up to the player to, to use those resources. But uh, for me, it's that, that is our plan to, to, to continue to build what we have there and the environment uh, that is conducive to, I believe uh, building NHL hockey players and in, but I, you know, last year was a, was a great first step. It was a learning experience on a lot of, uh, on a lot of ways because mm-hmm. we, we had, we threw it together in a very short amount of time, but I was proud of our group, how we navigated it um, and just excited to build on it going into year two. Well, and one of the biggest success stories was watching Spencer Martin have the success he had and then parlays that into a two-year contract with the team, and he could very well be the backup goalie behind Thatcher Demko next season. But as far as the goaltending is concerned, you still have DiPietro and Arthur Silovs. I know you guys like both those players still, but as far as the goaltending goes, with Spencer Martin potentially being with the big club, are you maybe looking at adding more of a veteran presence to the uh, Abbotsford Canucks for next season? Well, it's a part of uh, uh, part of our conversations. Is obviously looking at that position. We feel with with Mikey DiPietro uh, was uh, last year. I thought was a was a great development year for him in the sense of he had to battle some adversity uh, and had to challenge himself at times. And at the end of the day, I thought he came out a better uh, a better player. And I think he's better for it as a person. The, what he had to face and, and navigate and get through with some COVID and injuries and, and, and struggling with play at times. And for Seelovs, I, I think he's ready to carry much more of a load. Uh, unfortunately, his first year with the COVID and taxi squads and uh, the challenges there, and again, this year a little bit. But this this kid has ice in his veins and has battled and worked through everything with a great attitude and uh, rewarded for that in the world championships, uh, the way he went over there and he got an opportunity and, and played extremely well. So we're excited about both those, uh, those young goaltenders moving forward. RJ, uh, you've been great with your time. Really appreciate it today. Uh, thanks for this. Thanks for having me on guys. I appreciate it. Have a good weekend. Uh, you as well. There is uh, Ryan Johnson. Assistant to the general manager of the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, like this text message here, uh, unsigned. RJ seems like a politician. He's really he, a politician. He's really good at talking about what needs to be done. Um, and I don't think that's a slight. Yeah. Sometimes you say someone sounds like a politician. That's a bad thing. But 
RJ, he's always been good at communicating and and offering, you know, obviously uh, his perspective on things. And in so many ways, a lot of the decisions are above guys like RJ. You yeah. know, like you can do what you can in identifying players and stuff like that. And obviously he didn't want to get into what it was like comparing, you mm-hmm. know, previous front offices or whatever. But you do what you do with what you, you can only do what you can, what you have. Yeah. In so many ways. And it's going to be interesting to see what this uh, Abbasford Canucks organization does with these players under Ryan Johnson the next few years. Uh, it sounds as though he is uh, going to be uh, the um, consigliere yes. of uh, of the Canucks family. So the right-hand man of the GM right now. He Look, I, I don't think – I know people have said, um, you know, it's kind of a uh, – Whatever promotion, you know, the the thought was maybe he gets an assistant general manager title. Instead, it's assistant to the GM. I I don't think Alvin and Rutherford have been blowing smoke about how important RJ has been mm-hmm. uh, to them taking over these positions. Um, RJ has been very valuable to this organization over the last six months, and I do think that they still have a big role for him in store. And that also speaks to something Jim Rutherford has reiterated on a few occasions, just how important getting Abbotsford right is to the future of the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah. And they're still entrusting that to Ryan Johnson. Yeah, that, that tells you a lot because um, yeah. they could have easily changed that. This organization was not going to be this front. This new front office was not going to be shy in making changes. We've no. seen that. and. The fact they're holding him on and then giving him a bit of a promotion is interesting. Now, what I also think uh, is notable here is that he is the assistant to the GM. And I see the jokes people make from the office and all that sort of stuff. But the notable part about it is he's still in line to get an easy promotion elsewhere. Right. Because an assistant GM would be a bigger title. Mm -hmm. You look at the Canucks front office the way it's built out. They have three AGMs already with Emily Castongay, Cammy Granado, and Derek Clancy. Those are under Patrick Alvin, plus you have Jim Rutherford, you know? And if, if if you put Johnson in a position as an AGM, there is a bit limitations in terms of, you know, what you're doing, your responsibilities and all this sort of stuff. But then it's harder for you to get a promotion going elsewhere to do more as an AGM. Right. So, so that's kind of the thing. So I think this leaves a door open as well, that if somebody else comes in and wants to offer him a, a real you know, bigger role with the team, he's really, he's open to do that still. So, this sets him up nicely. In a, like you get a little bit more, but you still have a shot to go elsewhere and do something more. He didn't give us a ton on uh, what the next couple of weeks look like. Um, you know, There's a lot of different options, a lot of different pathways for the Canucks to take, but did give some insight as to how he views the Abbotsford Canucks looking for next season. Uh, I want to parse through a lot of that and dive into just what this front office does look like compared to what it looked like under Jim Benning. Uh, we'll get to that and more. Game 5 of the Stanley Cup Finals also tonight. It is Canuck Central. Canuck Central, a presentation of your local Grip Auto entire location. Friendly service and expert advice are waiting for you at gripauto.ca. It's Dan Richo, Satyar Shah, producer Josh Elliott-Wolf here. 
Uh, so the streak continues, Sat. The Canucks make news when I'm on the golf course. Yes, they do. This time, however, you uh, you actually showed up to the show <laughs> to talk about it. Uh, um, begrudgingly, be- yes. Begrud- be- begrudgingly. Um, however, and I can't even say that right now. Um, <laughs> I think we're burying the lead in the show, though. I don't. I don't think we are. I think we have. I really. I. We, uh, I really. I really had, don't think we are. The only reason we didn't get into what we're just about to get into in the first segment of this show is because Ryan Johnson was on in the first five minutes, and Canucks had a bunch of hires. It's uh, my golf game today. Our golf game. Producer Josh and I. It does not matter. and it does. So. I didn't want to get into it before RJ because he's yeah. going to be like, what the hell are you guys talking about? I don't care. <laughs> so I could not go out golfing with you guys. Well, I could. Yeah. I decided not to because I was not going to get yeah. up in an ungodly hour to go and play so golf like, today. Yeah, you can wake up at seven. I'm, <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I'm not doing it. Uh, but young Josh Elliott Wolf, our yeah. super producer, he went, went and also Raja uh, as well with yeah. you this morning. And yesterday on the show, if you were listening, uh, we were talking about this outing. Mm-hmm. And... You were saying that your golf game is superior to not only Raja, well, I, but I was I was gloating that I figured out golf. You at, did at the driving range and uh, at the tournament I played on Monday. And surely and I, nobody's made that mistake. <laughs> <laughs> Never. Nobody's ever overestimated their own abilities. And you were so confident you're offering a handicap to Raja and uh, Josh. I don't know if I offered a handicap. You mentioned that a handicap was in might play. be needed. It was in play. It was in fair, play. Fair. It was in play. And not We're, only... That might be your version of history. I don't, I don't, <laughs> I'm going to have to roll the tape. Uh, we're going to have to find it. I mean, if you want to, we can find the tape. But um, young Josh today yeah. beat you mm-hmm. in golf without the help of a handicap. No. Beat me by a stroke. That wow. Dialed in. <laughs> in every area aside from putting. Yeah. I think... I like. Look, I do think it was a little bit of luck. But that being said... It was a it was a good round for me, bad round for you. I ended up winning. I don't know. <laughs> you know what? I'm gonna say you made your own luck, and you yeah. know why? Because unlike Dan, and yeah. I don't know about Raj, I can't say he says he woke up at seven. No, I I, I woke up much earlier. Okay, well a little bit earlier. You know what? You know what? Young Josh did. Josh was at the course at like six thirty. Josh you know, showed he was initiative. Getting, he was getting well, his practice in. He was not putting. by choice. It was the only way I could get there. But that being said. The the thing is, I got there early and worked pretty much only on putting, and yep. I was so horrible on the greens today. <laughs> the lesson is don't practice. Exactly, don't uh, practice. Well, <laughs> unless you're reach. I I was uh, I was embarrassing out there today. Not not afraid to admit yeah. it. It was it was a tough day. Really struggling. I'm hitting the ball too far now. Oh wow! This is, oh yeah! This oh, is wow. this is the problem. Now he's too strong. I, I'm Josh. overshooting every green. <laughs> Before it was, I was, I just, I was dialed in. I figured it out. Now it's like I'm too strong. Yeah, he's, he's working sorry. out more. I was just too perfect at <laughs> golf. I don't know. <laughs> too good at it. Uh, good times. Uh, so the Canucks making a bunch of announcements today, uh, adding to their front office uh, some promotions as well. We just talked to Ryan Johnson there off the start of the show, and you know this is, um, it feels like a pretty robust front office yeah sat Mm -hmm. you have the president jim rutherford you have three assistant general managers you have an assistant to the general manager now you've got a lead in the analytics department there is a ton going on 
within the hockey ops department around yeah. the Vancouver Canucks. And it feels very different to what it was prior to Jim Rutherford being hired on as president of hockey ops. Well, you, you looked at the front office before, and when we're talking about people with fairly prominent roles. There was mm-hmm. about 11. There were 11 of those positions with the Canucks previously to this regime change. It was Benning, Wisebrod, Chris Gear, Jay Wall, Ryan Johnson, Stan Smeal, Todd Harvey running up the prospects mm-hmm. uh, or pro amateur scouting, Aiden Fox and analytics, the Sedins, and Chris Higgins. Then, you know, obviously guys like Ryan Beach and stuff are there. We're talking about you know, kind of department heads more so, or, you know, with, with bigger responsibilities. The Canucks now have 16 individuals in those types of positions. Rutherford, Alvin, Castongay, Granado, Clancy, Ryan Johnson, brought in Rachel Dory, Stan Smeal, the Sedins, Higgins, but they brought in Samuelson, Commissaric, Talon, and also Scott Young. So now they have 16 individuals kind of with significant advisor type roles or development or management type of roles because even to Dale Talon is more than just a pro scout. He's a bit of an advisor as well. So he provides a bit more expertise has been around the league for a long time. So you look at that Canucks front office, they have about four, four to five more people in key decision-making positions. And, you know, bigger doesn't always necessarily mean better. No, Um, you, and, and they have talked a lot uh, they have talked a lot about a you know more collaborative front office, and uh, Patrick Alvine is running the ship as much as Jim Rutherford is at the very tip of it. But it it feels better, but at the same time, that has a lot to do with the way canucks fans felt about the previous regime mm-hmm. especially towards the end and we know even during the previous regime's reign it was very much polarizing and a lot of times more on the negative side than the positive because it was a very long time that this team was not having success under that front office but as much as you feel the hope now there's Still very little track record of what's gone on here. And it feels like the resources are in the right place and they're doing things with a smarter process and all of those things feel great right now. But we really don't have much to go on to to really know if it is going to work or not. We've seen two trades and what, four signings? We yeah. saw Mott get traded. Yeah. We saw Canucks trade for Dermot. Yep. We saw them sign Archdeep Baines. We saw them sign Philip Gustafson, uh, Nils Amon, and obviously Andre Kuzmenko. Those are the moves they've made. Every single one of those have come with good reviews so far. So all the minor moves they've made have been good. You you check the list and you say, good job so far. Now they've built out the hockey ops, the front office, you know, uh, even most of the scouting, and I'm sure they'll add scouts and and area people as time goes on. Still, that's something that always happens as the year goes on as well. And and things like that, it can always be fluid. Still looking for uh, an assistant coach as well. Yeah, something they're still working on. But for all intents and purposes, everything is set up for you to make decisions, draft players, develop players, get them to the NHL and have people put in place. So now all that stuff is done. It essentially comes down to making those hockey decisions now. Now it comes down to what are you doing with JT Miller? What are you doing with Bo Horvat? Brock Besser, the rest of this roster, what does this team look like? Now you set yourself up. You had a lot of time. They've mm-hmm. used all the time to build out their front office, p- p- plot their plans, get everybody put in place. 
in the next couple of weeks, we're going to see the real decisions we're going to start grading and the ones that really will matter for this organization on and off the ice in so many different ways. It's, um, it's funny because like a lot of this is, you, you feel great now. <laughs> I wonder how people will feel a month from now. Once, you know, the big moves start to get made and, and free agency hits. But that's, but that's um, life in NHL. Yeah. Everybody is okay and fine until you make big decisions. And then it becomes a, a, a subjective situation. Sports are not really objective. We can provide objective analysis, but you as a fan oftentimes view it very subjectively. Yes. So when that's the exercise... You're not going to be able to have everybody on board with any sign, every signing, every trade, or whatever. And when the big ones happen, those are the ones that become polarizing. No matter what they do with JT Miller, there's going to be a big portion of the fan base that's going to be happy, and there's going to be a significant uh, portion of the fan base that's not going to be happy. Yeah, well, even something like JT Miller, yeah. right? There's, there's a certain segment of the fan base that is just going to be like, why are you trading that guy? Uh, you know, ex- exactly. And there's, I, there's another segment of the fan base that is like, absolutely, we need to trade him. We need more future assets. Yeah. This team is not anywhere near being a winner. Get, get some future assets. Don't commit to a guy that's over 30 years old. Yeah, and we asked Ryan Johnson about making those types of decisions on players like Ryan Johnson. I mean, on, on players like JT Miller and yeah. you know the guys that are unsigned still, like Besser... And even Horvat needing an extension, and he didn't really answer the question in terms of saying what they're going to do. But he did make it clear it's it's a tough situation to navigate, especially when it comes to dedicating long term money to a player. We keep hearing JT Miller's name in the trade rumor. Yeah, we've heard that all along. And I know Nick Kiprios today, and I know when anytime Nick Kiprios says anything about the Canucks, Canucks fans will give you a polarizing yes. response, as we saw with the Country Club comment. What does this a- Toronto guy know about the Canucks? <laughs> yeah, uh, like the Country Club comment yes. from a couple weeks ago. But, and I know Dollywall t- today mentioned that in his conversations that, you know, JT's name's been out there. I mean, like I've been saying for a long time, they haven't stopped taking calls on players. Yeah. That's been open. I don't know if that's an indication. I don't know if them taking calls now and, and have been taking calls since February or since taking over is any indication of anything having changed. Yeah. But, I mean, we told you on this show that there was an offer on the table from the New York Rangers. Yeah. So, I mean, this has been out there. There's there's yeah. always been interest. The question is, how willing are you to move JT Miller? And the the key thing from what Kiprios mentioned, and he says his information is from different teams who are saying... They're letting teams know JT is available. If the Canucks are actually actively making JT Miller available, then a trade is more, obviously, is, is, is a bigger question about when, not if. If that's the case. If Jim Rutherford is to be taken at his word, if the contract numbers get out of whack, we'll have to look at making a trade. He said that on this show. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he said. Yeah. Um. That leads me to believe that the negotiations haven't gone very well from the Canucks' view. I mean, it's hard to say. Yeah, um, I, I don't. I don't like. Like I mentioned about Besser yesterday, not that they haven't had discussions or anything, but there aren't any ongoing concrete contract talks happening. Yeah, you know, and, and I know Rick today mentioned there have been talks, but they're not close to a contract. Yeah, they're not. They're, they're, they're you know, maybe frameworks and stuff have been exchanged at times, like I mentioned, but not really any concrete discussions about where we're going with this, which I think tells you a lot about where things are or where things may, might be heading. So, I think for those guys, it'll be interesting to see kind of what happens. But for JT specifically, the question has always come down to: 
are you willing to pay what it takes to make a type of offer that would make him stay? And I've been saying, I don't think this team wants to pay him over $8 million, But has that changed? Because that's the only way, man. You know, like, yeah. the Zibanejad contract keeps coming up. Yep. You you can't get close to the Zibanejad contract at almost, at fewer than eight years. You can't. Or you can't with the AAVB under, being under $8 million. Like, even if you get to 45 or so, I mean, it's, it's not a bad offer, but it's not going to be enough. And and that's that's the question. You know, $50 million may make him think... But that's like flirting with eight times six. And if you don't want to yeah. do that, then, you know, that's the question here. Are you willing to go to that number? Because if you're not, then you're not going to be able to sign them. I, I also just don't see you getting getting JT under $8 million a year uh, at, at fewer than six years or no. six years or fewer. I mean, it, it, I get why Vancouver, Vancouver would try. Yeah. And you should. But given the season he had and given the precedent for contracts being given out, I mean, you look at Zibanejad. Zibanejad has the same age as JT Miller. I mean, even Hurdle. Hurdle, same age as JT yeah. Miller. The, the only difference is those guys' contracts kick in next year, whereas JT's contract will kick in a year later. Yes. But even so, those guys got eight-year deals. Mm-hmm. So seven years. Even if you do seven, you're still talking about, you know, 56 million, 57 yeah. million. That's, that's a lot of coin, man. You know, and, you know, I think if you make him an offer around 50, it'll make him think. But are you willing to go there? It's you know, one of those things. You are. You'd probably be more willing to do it if you see yourself as a true contender in the next, yeah, one or two years. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't. I don't feel this front office sees this team that way. No, and that's why they're they're going about this the way that they are. It's it's really difficult to know exactly where this will end up because, as we know in negotiations, it always has to come down to the wire. And yes, we're getting closer to those deadlines, but we're not at those deadlines. You know, when will that best offer be made? Yeah. When it comes to Miller or when it comes to Besser? I think, you know, the team's probably a little bit more comfortable holding off on Horvat talks uh, for now. Um, But when it comes to Miller and when it comes to Besser, and especially Besser, who's due the qualifying offer next Saturday, there's really your first deadline. Yeah. The draft is a de facto deadline for JT Miller because that's likely when teams are going to be very willing to make a trade for JT Miller. So you have a couple of deadlines approaching where it's almost as if who's making their best offer here today and who's willing to to really negotiate on what the number may actually look like. Those those are the two days that I'm kind of looking at. I'm with you. Now, the one thing I've been saying for a while is you have a pretty good idea, Mm -hmm. pretty already, what his demands are, what he's looking for, and and you know already what you're comfortable with doing. Mm -hmm. And if that that gap is too big to bridge, then it's not going to happen. Rutherford himself has said so. Yeah, I know. I, I see quotes are coming out from you know uh, Patrick Johnson's piece from the province where uh, Jim Rutherford is quoted as saying, "With well, J.T. Miller, were suggested we would like to keep him. He's been a good player for the Canucks, but it may not make sense for both sides. This is a time that he's earned going into free agency. We'd like to do it, but we have to be careful." Rutherford has has hedged all along when asked about J.T. J.T. and you know this is a quote that he has just been given with all the news today, of course, with the Canucks making uh, moves with the front office, with making additions to the front office. I mean, that that doesn't sound like a GM who is optimistic. And he's preparing people for some... We've been saying this for a while. He's, he's, he's been preparing people for a big decision that's coming and people may not like it. And 
he's preparing people that they may not be able to keep JT Miller. In uh, so many different, so many different times he's done so. Yeah, and and there's a lot of big decisions coming in the next couple of weeks. You're hearing the rumor mill pick up. That's because the Stanley Cup final is coming closer and closer to an end, and that means the trade wins. They are a blowing, as we know, and the Canucks are at the center of it with a lot of big pieces potentially on the trade block. It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shaw. Let's bring in our next guest. It is Matt Lee of BCLC. Bet on hockey like never before with Play Now Sports, your local BC sports book. What's up, Matt? What's up, guys? How are you? Uh, we're doing awesome as always. We're getting ready for, for trade season, for, for draft season. How uh, How is BCLC getting Canucks fans engaged uh, for oh, for the off season, yeah, it's been a crazy week for us. We're we're all in the war room trying to come up with bets that we're going to put <laughs> up on PlayNow.com for the draft, for free agency coming up. It, it's like a big discussion about what bets, what odds we should be putting together. Ooh. So it's a really great time. Uh, you know the the action, like you guys mentioned, wrapping up on the ice, but really off the ice, the action is ramping up, and we're really excited to have some uh, some good draft markets up for on PlayNow.com. We put a couple up this week. Uh, just on will the Canucks trade their first round pick? Will they, which position of the of the their first round pick will they take as well? So those are some of the exciting ones that we're really uh, looking uh, forward to having people bet on. Well, let's go through those right now before we get to uh, some of the cup odds here. As far as what they like, what can people wager on here, and uh, what's the what's the value people can find? Yeah, so let's start with uh, their first-round selection and which position of that player that they'll take at 15th overall. I think from a pure organizational need perspective, if you ask most people, they would say the Canucks are probably lacking that blue-chip defense prospect. Looking at it more holistically, this organization could probably use help at just about any position outside of goaltending. So given the quality of forwards we expect to be available around pick 15, the odds in them taking a forward are slightly better at 1.66 than a defenseman at 2.0. But take your pick, really, guys, because I think the organization has expressed they're going to be uh, taking a best player available approach on July 7th. Uh, the other one, like I mentioned, will they trade their first-round pick? Now, let's remember here, it's trading their first-round pick. So there is still the potential that they could trade it to move up as well. So that one's at trading it at 4.0 as well. Uh, obviously a lot of juice on trading that first-round pick. would be surprising if they did. So tonight is uh, Game 5 of the Stanley Cup Final. Uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning on the brink. Colorado could be lifting the cup. But after that last game, Matt, it's it's really hard for me to say Tampa has more fight in them. They're just so hurt. They didn't play well in Denver in Games 1 or 2. I just... I know the line is reflecting this, but I don't have much confidence in Tampa Bay keeping this series alive. Yeah, you and just about three out of four betters on playnow.com, 75% of the money line is on Colorado. And like you mentioned, Reach, hard not to agree. That, the Game 4 overtime loss, a huge backbreaker from even just a psychological standpoint. And now the series is shifting back to Denver for tonight. The Avs got such a lift with Nazem Kadri back in their lineup. I know we're going to wait and see if Braden Point will take the skate this, this this evening, but it doesn't even seem like reinforcements are on the way right now. So that's why you're seeing such a heavy handle right now on the Colorado Avalanche to lift the cup in Denver for the first time in 21 years. Well, and that's also reflected by the heavy odds being in the favor of Kill McCarr to win the Conn Smythe. I mean, it really seems like it's going to be his, especially if 
uh, if if Colorado wins. But if if we're still looking at some long shots, uh, what's what's some intriguing uh, numbers for the rest of the field? Yeah, I mean, if you're still holding on to that faint, slim hope that Tampa Bay can make this a series, you're looking back again at Andre Vasilevsky at 21.0 right now. I know that he hasn't been up to his usual dominant self, at least in this Stanley Cup final. But if the Bolts have any chance of getting back into the series, it's going to be Vasilevsky. Victor Hedman has fallen off the map. He's had a couple great moments in the Stanley Cup final, but it certainly hasn't been anyone else uh, helping out Vasilevsky. Uh, you know, Steven Stamkos is kind of hanging in the mix, but his odds at 76.0, it might not be enough for play now betters to really say that he's a, a shot at the con Smythe. But like you mentioned, guys, Kale McCarr was the betting favorite going into the Stanley Cup final, and he really hasn't done anything to change that either. Uh, my vote would be Nachushkin, but I think that's <laughs> just way too way too long of a bet. If there was an honorable mention, maybe. I mean, <laughs> Nachushkin at 51.0, if you're feeling spicy, you could put down a couple dollars. But, yeah. he, I mean, look, Val Nachushkin has had a great Stanley Cup final. There's no d- arguing that. Yeah, no arguing it, but uh, it's it's Kale McCars to lose right now. Hey, Matt, really appreciate the time as always. Have a great weekend. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next week. Uh, there is uh, Matt Lee, BCLC, bet on hockey like never before with Play Now Sports, your local BC sports book. All right, let's get to Yannick Hansen. In the next segment, he joins us every Friday. His take on uh, the too many men that wasn't in game four and his take on how the Canucks are shaping up ahead of the big offseason. It is Sportsnet 650.